I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Jack Kundell. Jack is the founder and CEO at Cowbell Cyber with over two decades of business executive experience. Previous senior roles include CEO of Calvarin, CEO of Lacework, both cloud security startups, SnapLogic, a leader in hybrid cloud integration, and CA Technologies, where Jack led DevOps sales for the Fortune 500 leader. With deep operational experience in the DevOps, cybersecurity, IT ops, and big data spaces, Jack leads Cowbell to execute on its vision of bridging the cyber insurability gap. Jack also serves as a governing board member of Brighter Children, a nonprofit organization. In this episode, we discuss the importance of cyber insurance, risk management, the difference between cyber insurance versus other insurance products, the risk COVID-19 posed to small businesses, right-sizing cyber insurance policies, industries that are targets for attackers, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Well, Jack, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Doug. Great. Well, thanks. We were we were just talking before we hit record. You're you're out in beautiful sunny California now. Yep, and we're enjoying it. Uh, love being here, and uh, it's a great place to uh, build an insurance business. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know? I think we can just dive right into it. You know, it's it's one of the things that I push a lot of my companies I work with when I do proactive services. Um, obviously, a lot of the response work I do actually comes from cyber insurance carriers and breach counsel. But, you know, when I when I deal with clients, when I'm doing virtual CISO work or security advisory work, I'm like, you know, where's your cybersecurity policy? Who's on your panel? Have you contacted them? And they're like, yeah, I think we, we have it somewhere. It was kind of a rider as part of our our business. We don't know. And I'm like, you need to get to know that. You're going to have an event. But I guess... You know, from from your perspective, it'll certainly be you know somewhat of a selection bias. But w- where do you see the importance of cyber insurance for organizations? Yeah, and you know, it's amazing that uh, you know we've been watching cybersecurity for about a decade, and I remember the time when cybersecurity market was in its infancy. Uh, uh, what cyber insurance is today, if you have to compare, and we know the potential for cyber insurance market. Uh, is as big as cybersecurity market. And I say that because, you know, the risk transfer strategies uh, are really getting embedded into your overall cybersecurity strategy. Uh, it's not a question of if, it's a really question of when. And if you look at the $130 billion that is spent on cybersecurity market, uh, we still continue to see every day uh, about uh, data breaches, about ransomware attacks, social engineering. So the threat level is going up every day, and especially with the COVID-19 crisis, it has gone up significantly higher. So in terms of cyber insurance today, one of our biggest challenge is the take-up rate is still significantly low, especially 
when it comes to small to medium sized businesses we run in single digits yeah and we'll discuss through various reasons why it is but um uh, the financial loss mitigation in the aftermath of cyber attack has become so critical for small to medium sized businesses that many of them actually can get back to uh, uh, operating normally once they have cyber attacks so having a cyber insurance is becoming more important and not just a contractual obligation and a fear factor anymore and that is what we're seeing Uh, especially with the uh, reports and the surveys that we have uh, uh, published recently. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, that's I could probably think of the I don't know, 600 700 incidents that I've worked uh 30 40% of them having some notifiable event or breach, you know, uh notifiable that has to either go to a state AG, GDPR, you name it, a federal or state or international agency a lot of these are small businesses and there's still that mentality i think for a lot of small businesses say well this can't happen to us um you know how do you kind of coach some of your clients through this when even you know maybe through the underwriting sales process say well look again it's not a matter of if it's when it's do do a lot of clients really still think gee i'm not i'm not a target i don't have credit card information yeah and it's a big myth out there um you know i the biggest challenge if i had to dissect this in uh, three different categories a uh, the process of buying cyber insurance is awfully difficult today right uh, long application forms uh, if not uh, the underwriting is compromised because of lack of due diligence if you just do it on a domain name as a carrier uh, b uh a as a business you don't have enough insights into what is your current risk look like for you to buy what kind of insurance and third just an access to a a clear cut worded out a uh, uh black and white uh insurance coverage and what does that mean you know meaning for example if ransomware is average 110k for last 12 months uh do i need a policy that at least covers me 110k of ransomware and that's not somewhere buried in sub limits so if you look at this trifecta of uh need for process uh, that is simplified and expedited uh understanding your cyber risk and having a insurance that is aligned to that cyber risk that requires uh carriers to do a lot more work uh then what's happening in the market today and that's why you know we uh at Cowbell believed in bundling cyber risk and cyber insurance together so going back to that take up rate of single digit uh is people were now covid-19 had changed dramatically that people are not just buying because of fear factor and contractual obligation or regulations right they want to have proper coverage as a risk transfer strategy where they spend certain amount of money on cyber security and by the way we also need financial risk mitigation when uh, breach still continue to occur and here is a separate budget for cyber insurance so we starting to see those signal uh, but until the trifecta purchase drivers are 
addressed by the suppliers in the market. This is going to be an ongoing uh, quest, I would say. Yeah, and I guess uh, you know, from from your perspective, there has to be a continued challenge of just not having enough actuarial data or the data constantly changing. And again, we've talked about ransomware events. Uh, you know, I remember just, it was only a couple of years ago. We rarely saw them going over fifty thousand. There was a low likelihood in many of those cases that there was uh, data exfiltration. Attackers were in and out. Now we're seeing these things go to one point three million dollars. May's ransomware group is doxing people and publishing sensitive information or threatening to leak it. Um, so I guess that that has to be an increased challenge where not only assessing the risk of you know infrastructure. It's challenging, but the game is constantly changing. Yep. You know, this is a, uh, think about cyber insurance as a line of product. It's the most technology savvy line of product. That means you have just so much data uh, around it, but you, there's a lack of actuarial table or heat maps for, unlike, let's say homeowners or personal auto, you got 150 years of data that you can predict, uh, but not only that, not just the uh, uh, lack of data, The uh, this line of business is further complicated by changing risk. Uh, the cost, the dwelling cost and the MSRP on car is not changing as fast as, uh, as the cyber. It's every second, every day, every year, uh, every month. So the already, a technology savvy line of product, cyber insurance, and that's complicated by the evolving risk. Uh, This is changing so dramatically. And this is why the approach of uh, underwriting uh, the cyber, I call it ostrich underwriting. It's just not gonna cut it anymore. I.e. just picking up a domain name and doing some external scan uh, you don't really understand the chaos behind the firewall and getting a true understanding of what type of risk the uh, policyholder or the prospective customer uh, may be at. So uh, being able to understand that risk uh, on an evolving uh, nature and you know this is where we start thinking about continuous underwriting. Uh, it has been a buzzword in the market in many other product lines for a long time. Cyber is the uh, the best candidate for continuous underwriting. And so we've been on a journey for about, uh, we think it's a three-year journey uh, to get to a near-perfect, continuously underwritten cyber insurance product. Um, but we, we are in a one year into this journey. Uh, we have a product in the market today. Uh, but we do believe, and I agree with the uh, evolving nature uh, the products are getting better. Uh, there's a, a, a gravitation towards standalone product and admitted product uh, for uh, obvious reasons and why surplus and packaged products are uh, not cutting it for this standalone line. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing a great opportunity for uh, businesses to align themselves to an insurance product that is aligned to their cyber risk on an ongoing basis. Gotcha. Yeah, and, you know, if uh, is there particular industries that you're seeing, you know, maybe certain verticals that are 
either growing or reaching out to you guys and say, hey, look, you know, guys, we're, we're hearing our our competitors or, or colleagues and in, in other businesses having an increase um, that they're starting to maybe become a little bit more self-aware. Yep. You know, traditionally, this has been uh, what do you call the top three retail, healthcare, and financial service. And it's just because of the mayor size of data these industries have. Uh, but our experience so far, um, construction and manufacturing, uh, you know, contractors cannot bid for a job without cyber insurance in most cases. Uh, manufacturing, this whole emergence of operational uh, technology, OT, uh, has added new dimension. It's not just about IT infrastructure. So we believe that the opportunity in construction and manufacturing, and also it's witnessed by the demand that we're seeing in those two industries. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And now, of course, there is you know, uh, increasing demand in uh, transportation. Uh, and this is just gonna go on for across a lot of different industries. Uh, but if you, if you leave the top three, the retail, financial, and healthcare, where you have just a abundance of data uh, and the higher exposure of uh, cyber threats because of the increasing threat level uh, on construction and manufacturing. Uh, there is a lot that can be done in those two industries. So uh, uh, we think uh, those two verticals would be great for what we do in the marketplace. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've certainly seen, you know, again, <laughs> to try to think of the, the, the last week, you know, see everything from higher education, um, law, couple law firms, car dealers. I mean, there's it really runs the gamut of folks that have either had business email compromise, ransomware events, network intrusion. It doesn't really seem to be slowing down in, in any way. Um, it's so, a horizontal problem, if, if yeah. you will. And, you know, and with doing that, I mean, I guess, you know, is, is there commonalities that you see of particular types of things that could have been in place or different types of maybe um, infrastructure risk that is maybe common across many different verticals? Yeah. And, you know, it's very common, like if, as a security uh, operator uh, and especially for your audience, I mean, this is very common, simple things. I mean, you're looking at uh, multi-factor authentication. I mean, that's a pretty uh, big one, not having that in place. Uh, you're looking at um, just a password and credentials uh, type of as a root cause. Uh, so that's a big deal. And what this does is to open up doors to ransomware, social engineering fraud, um, computer fund transfer fraud, some of the most basic type of coverages in insurance. Uh, people are, especially now that we have federated IT, um, having employee-owned devices, that's a big risk. Uh, and how do you tackle uh, that? Not just from an insurance perspective, but from your cybersecurity uh, apparatus perspective, uh, because your compute is now materially different than what it used to be back in February. Uh, so things really changed in March, and we now... 90 days on the other side of uh, that big change. And uh, companies are, uh, companies have a pretty significant challenge ahead of them. Uh, so you think about 
the things that are really simple uh, that can uh, be exposed by the hackers. Uh, and you know, uh, the hacker community now has a uh, tremendous amount of resources because you can't get out of the house, right? And otherwise you would be doing some other things. You might as well try to hack a system if you know something about it. So uh, the threat level uh, and, you know, like you say that your infrastructure is uh, weaker uh, tomorrow than it is today if you do nothing about it. And so uh, we believe that these simple things, especially for small to medium-sized businesses, these simple things like multi-factor authentication, passwords, employee-owned devices, uh, these are very, very common things that uh, are immediate, actionable uh, things that businesses can take care of to protect themselves from uh, large exposures. Gotcha. You know, one of the interesting things in the, in the report that you guys have coming out too is, you know, kind of undercover classes of business. And we certainly talked about, you know, the, the kind of common ones, but life sciences um, kind of stuck out to me as, as an interesting one, which, which makes sense. So you know, I'm, I'm in <clears throat> Boulder, Colorado, which is um, a pretty large life science area. Um, we just had, you know, one of the local companies get a huge round of funding. Um, there, there's just uh, been big mergers and acquisitions of some of the smaller uh, companies in oncology and different things. So it, it seems like um, it would make sense, you know, particularly with, with everything going on with COVID, you know, there's this greater focus that life sciences and, and biotech could be a kind of underbelly. Yep. And, you know, like uh, I mentioned that the take-up rate is in a uh, single digit, but... Even in that, the uh, even in the group of folks who actually have cyber insurance, um, vast majority of them are underinsured. And like you just pointed out, it's life sciences, it's healthcare, retail, hospitality, telecom, um, and those are industries. And one of the reasons for being underinsured is also uh, buying an insurance once a year. Uh, Right, and so this is going to evolve. That we don't have a nobody in the industry has a solution to uh, do that right away. And this is where you know how do you change not just the limits but the coverage and the premium uh, on a monthly basis. And this requires the type of effort that we are undertaking at Cowbell. Uh, so. Uh, because the risk is evolving on a monthly and a quarterly and a daily basis, uh, you have to keep up with the type of coverage you have. So it's not just a cyber security issue, it's a cyber insurance. And particularly these industries that we uh, just briefly mentioned, uh, there's a heavy reliance on number of records, a uh, lot of data, uh, heavy reliance on IT infrastructure. In fact, uh, most of these are uh, IT-driven companies uh, with a specialty in uh, life sciences and healthcare and telecom. So yeah, we're going to start to see a, we call it the insurability gap, right? And not, like we said, it's a horizontal problem. It could apply to any industry, but in particular, industries that are heavily reliant on IT infrastructure. The insurability gap, being able to measure that, whether you address it or not, but knowing that 
you know, in third quarter, your cyber risk has significantly changed compared to second quarter, but your cyber insurance has remained the same throughout those two quarters. That is of a concern and that type of insights need to be brought out to the, uh, uh, to the businesses, whether a cybersecurity supplier does it or your cyber insurance provider does it. Uh, it's just a matter of choice. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. You know, when you compare it to you know the other types of insurance, it's like uh, you, you kind of can forecast out. Again, we're talking about some of the actual data from looking back and looking forward. I know this might be a strong hurricane season, and I might have to up some coverage for flood or other types of damages going in. You know, going into the year by August, but. Yeah, tomorrow something can change. You know, we can have another wanna cry that could spread and, and take down industrial control systems, you know, and, and you're just not prepared for that and, and might not even have the coverage. Yeah, you know, the million dollar policies, um, and they're pretty uh, <clears throat> standard, uh, meaning that, you know, most of the contractual requirements uh, require you to have aggregate limit of a million. So you will see like, many small to medium-sized businesses have a million dollar aggregate limit mm-hmm. and it is not related to their uh, risk that they have so you know we're starting to see a three million policies uh five million dollar policies four million dollar policies so the limits are going up uh, as people start to learn more about their cyber insurance coverage um, and you know there's the the sublimits is another thing. Uh, so, uh, but definitely we're starting to see the, this is not going to be, although majority of businesses will still be buying a billion dollar cyber policy, uh, we st- the limits will go up uh, and so as the premiums. Yeah. And you, you just touched on something that I think you and I probably know well enough, you know, for me being on the vendor side of, of a lot of policies. Uh, but, you know, we talk about sublimits, but one of the things that I think uh, when, when customers, you know, maybe small businesses and enterprises struggle with is what do I get? You know, what, what does that million dollars cover? Uh, what does it mean? You know, can you maybe kind of walk people through that a little bit that are not so initiated to, you know, what they really get when they get cyber coverage yeah so uh, and we'll try to i try to go demystify it kind of yeah <laughs> um, you know um each policy has a aggregate limit um for first party and a third party so when the breach occurs the type of expense that expenses that you would be responsible uh, for paying for your own damages but also for a a third party that you might be liable for a customer, supplier, a partner, a regulator, or whatnot. Uh, and as you decode the policy, uh, and this is easier to do with a standalone policy, and this is why there's a gravitation on a standalone policy. Package policy is something that a business would buy, uh, which would be an endorsement on their existing uh, commercial property policy or a business owner's policy uh, or a liability policy uh, for that matter. And when you have cyber or professional liability, like many cyber is embedded into ENO, what they call a tech ENO. Uh, and when you have a package policy, it is very hard to separate um, the sublimits 
and you're looking at sublimits like you know business interruption loss when a cyber breach occurs and your business shuts down and what does that uh, limit look like that limit oftentimes could be same as the aggregate limit it could be sublimited to a small number uh, then you have uh, computer fund transfer fraud uh, then you have uh, ransom payments cyber extortion and you know not many people would want to buy a ransomware um, limit for all the way to aggregate limit and this is in case if you are looking for aggregate limit higher than a million, a lot of contractors are required to carry up to two to five million in cyber limit. So the sub limits for ransomware uh, breaking, uh, you call it the uh, uh, being able to replace the hardware once it's damaged, betterment, being able to configure those hardware pieces to making them into usable state, uh, telecom, uh, uh, fraud where people are looking to steal the bandwidth that you might be using without your knowledge, uh, crypto jacking as the company gets bigger. So all of these various different types of coverages that a business would seek, uh, you likely won't get all of them into a uh, poli cyber policy that's embedded in some other form of policy. We call it package policy. We call it silent cover. You want an affirmative standalone cover. That means, uh, and you know, going back to insurance as a business, the promise to pay, right? In exchange of a premium, we will cover you for certain millions of dollars, but the contract that's underlying uh, and facilitates that promise to pay is a, uh, uh, it's a unilateral contract, right? Policyholders are not changing that contract. So it's very important as a, business to discuss with your independent agent or the agent that you work with on what does that mean right if do i am i covered for ransomware especially ransom payments or separating ransom payments versus expenses that relate to the ransom payment and am i covered am i uh, as a business can i actually pay that 110k of ransom uh, when it actually happens and knowing that beforehand is very, very important and crucial. So, you know, we ensure that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is a transparency in the market, right? Uh, today, the agents do not know enough about the policyholders. Uh, the policyholders do not know what uh, metrics are used to underwrite their policies by a carrier. And then you have the reinsurers who, uh, don't have enough data about single point of failure or risk aggregation when it comes to cyber, uh, just because where the market is today. So the transparency in this market is very important. And so having agent and policyholder and a reinsurer work up of same data source, that is a game changing. And so we go in that direction a big way we're already starting to see some good result. This allows a policyholder to understand what they are buying and it facilitates the decision-making process and also help them with the process of buying cyber in a more expedited and uh, simplified way. We believe that transparency is gonna help that take-up rate that we talked about in single digits today and more and more people will have cyber insurance as a result of that type of model.
So uh, I think we started with sublimits and limits, uh, but it is extremely important for policyholders to look into what is covered and what is not, and being able to select those coverages uh, as on a real-time basis. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's interesting. It kind of forces a lot of organizations to sit and really think and understand their business. You know, I'll, I'll, the kind of cliched thing I do with most organizations, I'll say, you know, I don't want to understand your technology. I want to know how you make money. I want to know how you keep the lights on here, how data moves from point A to point B and the way that you monetize it. And let's look at building risk around those critical systems. You know, and part of that is then understanding, okay, then I have to right size the type of coverage and risk transference and different things that you want. But it's it's also important to understand what you really get, you know, when it comes to some of those first party losses, you know, going out and trying to find breach counsel, forensic vendors, PR, you know, other types of, you know, notification vendors, everybody else that kind of comes into that ecosystem. If if you were trying to do that on your own and self-insured, and self-insured, which you certainly could, is could be an arduous process. You don't know who to call. One of the, the, the benefits I see too is once you have it kind of right size for your organization is that you kind of get a list of people that have been pre-vetted by the carrier to say, hey, look, here's who we trust. Here's who we, we know we're not going to have billing issues with. Um, use them. And that can really kind of cut down that mean time to respond. Yeah. Saves a lot of time. Uh, make sure uh, your claims are uh, rapidly resolved. Um, you know, more towards paying, getting paid fully versus partially or none. Uh, but yeah, it's very important. And you have crisis management teams uh, that most insurance put on their panel. You have uh, forensic team, you have uh, notification, you have legal uh, and other aspect. And more choices is better. Not everyone is going to be a right size, especially because of the industry knowledge. Uh, yeah, you're talking about Friday evening a call and an event that's taking place. Uh, how do you make sure you get help? And, you know, especially if you don't have a security apparatus like many bigger businesses would have, um, being able to call that breach coach, uh, being able to get in touch with the carrier, uh, and not just uh, it's I call it the response and recovery, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where the cyber insurance market, you know, cybersecurity that plays significant part in prevention and detection of cyber attacks pre-event. Uh, but on the post-event, uh, the response and recovery, how do you respond fast to an event that is occurring? And uh, how do you recover from the losses that you may not be able to uh, uh, avoid? And uh, the response and recovery is uh, basically, you should rely on your insurance carrier for response and recovery. Uh, and you should rely on your cybersecurity supplier for prevention and detection. Yeah. If I have to make it a bit simpler, yeah. it, it's not as black and white, but um, uh, that's how I would say. It. Yeah, it's funny, you know, with a lot of the incident response plans and tabletops I work, I say, you know, Call your broker, call your carrier first. That should be your first call because often they have resources, you know, instead of you Googling, you know, forensic response, incident response at, you know, 7 p.m. on a Friday, they are usually going to be like, here, call these three people. Um, it's it, And again, it comes down to recover, you know, meantime to to to, uh, to respond, meantime to recover. That's, that's the name of the game in incident response and where I think a lot of folks kind of 
undervalue what they get in cyber insurance. One of the other things you did mention too was Betterman. Um, and, and that's always an interesting topic for me. And I, I love asking folks in the in the cyberspace about it because you know, often I've seen a lot of organizations where I've done a response and it's been, you know, say, a Windows 2003 server or Windows 2008 R2 server that's you know, it's, should have been out of production years ago. But was the you know was was the attack vector, um, and do we really want to restore something uh, back to a state that was vulnerable? You know, talk a little bit about how Betterment plays into this and some of the things that are changing in the marketplace for that. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know, bricking and Betterment is, uh, I mean, those are two uh, heavily uh, used nomenclature. I think. Uh, Bricking has a uh, simplified uh, word called hardware replacement. Uh, better, uh, betterment has a simplified uh, description called post-bridge remediation. You know, it's important. Uh, you know, every uh, customer, every small business is customizing uh, how the uh, Windows uh, device that you just mentioned um, is being used in their environment. And so just doing hardware replacement, we're getting somebody a uh, new Windows server. Uh, it's just not good enough. And oftentimes they don't have resources to uh, be able to configure that uh, to the way it used to be before. Uh, and so having a coverage in terms of, uh, all right, breach happened, um, and I have a risk mitigation strategy. I've transferred certain risk. I have certain coverage. Uh, part of that is being able to uh, get certain devices replaced, but part of that is also being able to configure those, putting it in a better state than it used to be before. And uh, a coverage like that is uh, important. And uh, you know, we actually, uh, most of our customers our policyholders pick breaking betterment, telecom fraud, uh, and enhanced ransom payment. Right? People want to have a slightly bigger cushion on ransomware. Um, by the way, I'll also mention that all of these are great post-breach uh, remediation. There's also a lot of pre-breach uh, that you can do. Right? Security awareness training, for example. Right? If you're a small shop, and don't want to sign up for a formal uh, education for your employees. Uh, as you know, insider threat is a it's a number one reason for a lot of breaches to occur because employees not having enough security awareness. And so security awareness training, uh, being able to get, uh, being able to measure your cyber risk on an ongoing basis, getting certain alerts, on a real-time basis, we call it remediation guidance. So security awareness, remediation guidance, a lot of these things can actually help the uh, load of uh, work that you would have to do uh, for response and recovery if you do this on an ongoing basis, especially prior to the breach. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, and I've seen, seen more carriers try to, I think, encourage, you know, well, it offers two things. One, I can imagine it helps reduce uh, some of the organizational risk profiles, but also too, it's, it's a good market differentiator to say, Hey, look, here's some of the pre-breach services that we can do. Um, 
And when I was with Kivu Consulting a number of years ago, we worked with a number of the carriers to say, hey, here's some levels of risk assessment we can do. Here's the um, security awareness training. And it, it was it was great for everybody. It was a great ecosystem because one, for me as a provider, I got to know clients. <laughs> it's always great to know somebody prior to an event happening. So the first time I'm talking to them is not five o'clock on a Friday. I've already had a rapport with them. I know a little bit about their environment. Um, and hopefully they've gotten some type of uh, risk reduction out of that process as well. Like as, as much as I, I get paid from doing incident response, I don't mind not doing it. And I kind of like my weekends and evenings with my family. Yep, <clears throat> certainly do. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, the remediation guidance is a very important uh, tool. Now, you know, look, I'm not suggesting that insurance should replace your uh that you should rely on cyber insurance. Uh, you have to have a cyber security uh, strategy and a policy. You have to have cyber security infrastructure. You have to protect your uh, business and infrastructure no matter what, insurance or not, because you, know, you want to avoid the event and the insurance is in the event if you cannot avoid the breach, right? And that's how I look at it. But also... You don't want to rely on an insurance carrier to uh, be your cybersecurity supplier, right? That's not uh, what the carriers do, right? Carriers are in a business of promise to pay. And yes, there is a pre-breach and post-breach services that helps uh, 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 increase the value proposition of buying policy from that carrier as a, um, as a value add value-added service, uh, but you don't want a, uh, you want an expert. And, you know, folks like ourselves, like we come from cybersecurity. Uh, between Rajiv and myself, we built about four cybersecurity companies. Uh, Trent uh, built uh, insurance companies, uh, Prop built uh, cybersecurity companies. So, as this monoline cyber insurance provider where policyholder can rely on the insurer because that's the only thing they know, right? We're likely in our future, we're likely not gonna be doing anything else other than cyber because that is the only thing we know really, really well when it comes to insurance. So uh, we're not suggesting that your insurance carrier become your cybersecurity supplier and it's a replacement up. It is an enhanced protection, but you want a insurance carrier that knows cyber uh, because they can be in the best position to help you when you mostly need it. Yeah, it's I try to tell folks, look, it's it's not a you know, it's not a bulletproof vest. It's not going to protect you from everything. It's it's like when you're driving a car, you have anti-lock brakes, you have uh, seat belts, you have airbags, you have all these different things that help kind of reduce the um, the threat and the risk. But there's not one thing that you need. And part of building a program is really layering that risk protection. And you know, it's the unsexy thing that we do. We we cybersecurity is about risk reduction and risk management. And risk transference is part of the, your risk strategy and really why you need some type of coverage. Yep. Yep. And one of the uh, things, one of the things I was kind of curious about, you know, now we're kind of, we're, we're hopefully getting towards the other side of COVID, you know, we're halfway through, through it, but we've certainly seen in, in, 
you know, a lot of small businesses take some financial hits. Is there a concern within the insurance market that, you know, there might be, you know, some depression in the market just due to small businesses either going out of business, might not um, renew um, because of financial constraints? Uh, is, is there concern around that as we kind of look into next year? Yeah. So there's definitely this twofold concern, right? In insurance market, the buyers and sellers, right? Uh, the buyers, the small businesses, and the sellers, the independent agencies. There's a concern on both sides. I mean, both of them are just getting back to work, right? So, uh, but at the same time, right? Um, you may see, and you probably saw some of the numbers that overall policies across all type of insurance. Uh, I think May was a good improvement. Uh, we had a good improvement in May. And again, we don't have a lot of historic data. We started, in fact, we began selling policies in late February, early March when the COVID began. So a lot of our data is built in uh, COVID-19 risk into it. Uh, you know, one thing that I would say that threat level for cyber has gone up. What we're starting to see is people who are on the fence of cyber before uh, are now wanting to take a look at it. Right? In previous to uh, COVID-19, they didn't know if they want cyber. Now they know they want cyber. Now they want to know what type of uh, policy and who is the right uh, player. The agent side, uh, we started what we call O2O initiative, uh, offline to online initiative. 150 year business, as you know, most of the independent agency partners that we work with, uh, they're family businesses, generational. Uh, their business is heavily relying on high value network, uh, meeting people face to face, their relationships. And I'm not saying it won't happen anymore, but it's going to be severely limited for a foreseeable future. So how do you uh, do that? How do you, uh, so being able to do submissions uh, on the fly, being able to generate bindable codes in microsecond, being able to activate policies without having to wait for an underwriter. All of those things are become so critical for agency to operate as a business. And the policyholders who rely on the agencies to uh, have that conversation about cyber insurance. So we feel like we are in a really good position to help our agency partners transform their business from offline to online and really be able to build a cyber line of uh, uh, cyber product line a new business line where they were making most of their money previously on workers' compensation or uh, general liability or DNO or ENO. Um, and it's a great opportunity for the agencies. Now, I can't comment on the business lines that we are not in, but I have to say that, uh, look, we only see an increasing demand since we started. Uh, it's because we started in March and now right, things are picking up back again. Um, I would say for a cyber line of product, I'm sure they're going to be pressured on premium uh, because the risk threat level has gone up. So the premiums are going to go up. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I mean, you think about Solarium Commission out of US Congress that is looking at 
certifying cyber underwriters, certifying cyber products, certifying claim educators. Uh, you're looking at the gravitation in California Senate uh, to make cyber insurance as a mandatory uh, line of insurance that every business that operates in California got to have. So a lot of these factors are, are going to contribute to ever-increasing demand for cyber. Yeah, it's it's that that's uh, pretty much what I've been seeing too, is that, look, you have more of a really remote workforce has quite frankly um, increased a lot of the risks because either folks are standing up new technology to support their remote workforce, people are just operating and working differently. Um, it inherently increases the risks. Attackers are they're looking for that. They're not they're not saying oh, I'm going to take a break during COVID. They're if anything they're going to ratchet it up. And I've if anything I've been saying that I've seen an uptick in response work over the past uh, several months. And as you mentioned, there's more and more either federal state regulations, you know, whether it's requiring insurance or just even look at things like CCPA. I mean, when it comes down to personal data privacy and, and notification. You know, we're, we're seeing, again, more of these maze ransomware events are dropping data on the internet. And all of a sudden, you have a notifiable event and you're having to comb through gigs, if not terabytes of data in a very short period of time um, to notify. And the state regulators that I've spoke, spoke to, they're saying, yeah, we understand there's a COVID thing, but those 60, 90, 45 day notification deadlines, they're not moving. <laughs> so there's still that, that question, you know, have, I guess that's part of it too, you know, just maybe from, from my view, have you seen more of that where there have been notifiable events and having to really kind of comb through that data for regulators in an increased time period to have these small businesses say, Hey, look, we've, We've had an event and we have to notify across 50 states. Yep. And uh, Doug, this is why, you know, insurance in a uh, bad time should come to rescue, right? Uh, uh, for a business, you know, COVID-19 or not, uh, you got to have a partner that you can rely on, right? So if insurance doesn't help you in a bad time, right, who else is going to? And so being able to plan for that in advance is very important. Uh, Look, we saw, uh, we are seeing a public health crisis, uh, almost close to civil unrest and economic uh, crisis all at the same time. Uh, What we haven't seen is a cyber uh, catastrophic, right? And so you one cannot even imagine uh, what type of catastrophe that could be. And so as a business, as a fiduciary duty, as a responsible owner of the business, CEO or officer or a board director, uh, this is probably the number one agenda, uh, well, right behind getting your business back on track, of course, Uh, but very critical market. We have a lot of innovation to uh, bring into this market. Um, it's, it just began, the whole revolution had just began um, and it's nowhere uh, towards uh, uh, a sizable uh, impact in the market. And so you could see a lot of players uh, on various different aspects, not just the MGUs uh, or MGL like ourselves, uh, but new broker models, uh, 
new vendors. Uh, there's still a lot of architecture is changing every day. Threat level is going up every day. So uh, this whole industry, this is what, what makes me very confident that the cyber insurance industry is poised to grow as big as cyber security industry in next you know, foreseeable four or five years time frame. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think they 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 work hand in hand, and I it was a statistic from a couple of years ago, but I can't remember. So don't don't listeners don't quote me directly, but it's something around like seventy percent. But a far majority of small businesses um, will close within a year after a major cyber event. Um, it's it's devastating. It's just as bad as physical damage or anything else that you can have. It's it's a severe disruption and loss of funds for most organizations that they have to really account for. That this is this could close your shop. Yep, and yeah, my thought on that is uh, we see uh, news articles about large breaches and uh, big companies. The uh, number of events that take place in small to medium-sized businesses is far many uh, compared to what we see in the market. And you're right. It's, you know, I've seen a similar stat. It is very hard for a small business to get back up, uh, especially if you end up paying 100K in ransomware. Uh, it takes a, it's a uh, material uh, earnings and income that uh, you may never recover if you're a very small business. So, uh, it has become extremely important for small to medium-sized businesses to have this response and recovery protection. Yeah, uh, for sure. It, yeah, it, no, no less for big companies, but it has become important for smaller businesses. Yeah, I mean, I probably work, you know, just with my team, maybe a handful of newsworthy, you know, ones that make it in the news each year. But I mean, several hundred just you know, just per year of small businesses. I think people just don't appreciate the depth of it and the breadth of it of how many small businesses are getting hit on a day-to-day basis. And it's just, you know, it's not always newsworthy stuff. So they don't think it's going to be them. Yeah. We love small businesses because we are one. Yeah. (laughs) I know the feeling. Well, Jack, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where can folks find you? You know, uh, you can always reach me at Jack at, uh, cowbellcyber.ai and you can also find a lot of information about what we do, the type of innovation we're bringing into the market, our unique approach. Our website is cowbell.insure and like they say, everyone can use more cowbell. So uh, I really appreciate you having me here. Thank you. Jack, my pleasure. I'll be sure to put all that in the uh, show notes as well as the link to the report, which uh, goes out tomorrow and people can find that on the website. Thank you, Doug. Have a great day. Jack, you too. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.